Good. Alexander, welcome. Uh, this man needs no introduction, but let me introduce him to you anyway. No, I just want to pray. But I, I'd like to say the last two weeks have been absolutely amazing. And um, I believe that it's, it's an important word, word for the world at the moment. Send it to your kids. Send it to your friends. Incredible word. So, Father, we thank you for Alexander, for the years that you've invested in him. We receive him as a gift today to your church, and we bless you, Alexander, with the anointing and power and life and grace and truth of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Um, thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Hi, Simon. Um, good morning, everyone. So, Basil introduced me, but let me introduce myself in re, uh, with relation to this series of teachings I've been doing on identity. So the one, the one way we can introduce ourselves is like this. Good morning. My name is Alexander Fenter, and I'm a recovering sinner, pastor, and a white South African male above 60 on the endangered species list. Or I could introduce myself more biblically as, Good morning, my name is Alexander Fenterki, God's son, his agapitos, his beloved. So, um, if we go on to the next slide, just want to remind you, for those who are not aware, I have got notes of what I've been talking about over the past three weeks. And if you want a copy of the notes, Eileen Drysdale from the office or Ryan or any of the leaders can, can forward you the notes. Um, so we've been talking about uh, God identifies us in creation and also in new creation. From a biblical point of view, we don't self-identify. We allow God to identify us. And we believe God's identity of us more than our own feelings about ourselves. In creation design, identity is that we are God's image. In other words, we are born in love, by love, and for love. Let us make human beings in our image and in our likeness. Us is the Trinity. So the eternal community of love creates us by love for love. So our identity is being in love. Broken creation or fallen creation is all around the formation of identity through doing. So it's doing for love, doing to be seen, doing to, to, to be worthy of love. And this whole idea of being versus doing goes to the heart of this matter of identity. And whatever you, you, you do in order to be seen, recognized, accepted, loved, celebrated, whatever, whatever, actually, if you do it long enough, it becomes the, the idol that forms you in its own image. And you know, you're no longer the image of God, but you're the image of that which you pursue for meaning and purpose in life. And we pursue so many different things for meaning 
purpose, to have a good sense of self, to feel good about me. And if you do that, it will end, it will form you in its own image and in its own likeness. And that is the power of idolatry. So last Sunday, we spoke about new creation identity beginning with Jesus. And this morning, I'm going to talk from Paul's teaching about identity. And in Jesus, essentially, his, his conception, birth, and formation, identity formation, um, in Nazareth, when he worked with his father in the carpentry business, and then began his ministry, the real key point was that his baptism, when his identity was supernaturally confirmed from the heavens when God spoke, and poured this, his spirit of love on Jesus the Son, and said, you are my son, and then this wonderful Greek word, agapitos, my beloved. In English, it's beloved. In Greek, it's agapitos, which is an intense term of endearment. And um, that is Jesus's human identity from a human point of view, which he needed psycho-emotionally. We all need to be affirmed in our real identity, psycho-emotionally. And so Jesus was was confirmed and affirmed in his identity as God's beloved son. And that identity was tested not only immediately afterwards, but throughout his, his life and his ministry. Our identity is found in Jesus' identity. And that then is, is spelt out in more detail through Paul's teaching. So on the next slide... Paul was a primary follower and interpreter of Jesus and the way of Jesus. And in Paul's earliest letter, so the earliest historical documents we have from the first followers of Jesus are not the Gospels, not Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but actually is the book of Galatians and Thessalonians. So Paul started to write letters to the churches probably 47, 48 AD or A.D. 47-48, to be technically correct. You put A.D. first. Be that as it may, Galatians, the earliest, probably the earliest uh, letter he wrote, is all about identity. And if you read the book of Galatians carefully, you'll see that Paul is wrestling deeply with the transformation of of our identity from B.C., before Christ before meeting Christ to after Christ to after meeting Christ. And so Paul says in Galatians chapter 4 verse 6, we have received the spirit of his son. So I'm going to read it to you. We have received the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba Father. And this this imagery from Paul is very clearly that when a baby is born, the first words it begins to speak is, is Ima or Abba, Mama, Daddy. <laughs> and the spirit of God's Agapitos son comes into our hearts and we are born again from above by the spirit of God. And our first instinctive cry is Daddy. God is my father, and you are his daughter. You 
are His Son. And when it says we receive the Spirit of His Son, it's better translated as the, the modern, the latest NIV does it. Because when it says the Spirit of Sonship enters our hearts, that has been used to teach sonship in a way that discriminates against daughtership. You know that women are daughters of God. And although you receive the spirit of Jesus, the son, that makes you a daughter of God, it doesn't make you a son of God. As I has been taught in some circles. It's important correction. Because we teach the Bible culturally that reinforces stereotypes that discriminates against women. So also let me give you a further illustration. When it says that we are born of the Spirit, that is a feminine image of birth. And the Holy Spirit in Hebrew is consistently a feminine noun. Ruach. How's it? Young man? <laughs> is this Zain or that's Zane. I've got it right. God bless you, Zane. But um, Jesus spoke Aramaic and Hebrew, and in Aramaic and Hebrew, Spirit of God is consistently a feminine noun. So the imagery of being born of the Spirit, born again, is a feminine imagery whereby we receive the Spirit of the Son but the Spirit is the feminine that gives birth to us as a daughter or a son of God. And so then Paul says, therefore, you are no longer a slave. And the worship this morning was absolutely heavenly. It was fantastic. You are no longer a slave to fear, but you are God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also heir of everything. All that God has, all who God is, all that God owns is yours. That's right. As a son and a daughter of God, especially as his dearly loved one, yes. his uniquely, specially loved one, his, his uh, agapitos. That truth, that reality of being born again as a, as a child of God was enacted ritually in the early church through Christian baptism. So the way it went in the early church was when people heard the message about Jesus as the crucified and risen Messiah, and they said, I believe what you're saying, whoever was preaching, the guys said, let's pray for you that you may experience the life of Christ entering you. And if you really believe in Jesus as Messiah, then come and be baptized in water, which is the cutoff point as a public witness to your friends and your family, that now you're a follower of Jesus. And Christian baptism was the transformation uh, um, on the basis of Jesus' baptism. The early Christians enacted baptism just on the basis of Jesus' model of baptism. In other words, when, we, when Jesus stood in the water, he identified with sinners and confessed our sin on our behalf because he had no sin. He died for us and was buried in sin. He rose again to new life to give us new life. When we are baptized, we become followers of Jesus. We stand in the water. We identify now with Christ. And we die with him, are buried with him. Our sins are washed away and we rise with him to new life and a new identity. Yes. So that as Jesus came up out of the water, God got so excited, he ripped the heavens open, poured the Spirit 
his spirit on him, which is the spirit of love, and declared and affirmed his identity as Agapito's son, especially loved one. And in the early church, they used to do that so that at baptism, if people who put their faith into Jesus came from idolatry worship, and often they were named by their parents by the name of an idol, they were given... Have you heard of this phrase, what is your Christian name? Have you heard that phrase? It still comes from colonialism, where I know that I worked with Mokete Mpete in Soweto for whatever, 10, 12 years under apartheid. But my, when I initially met him, he was Paul Mpete. And as I got to know him, I, I learned his Sutu name, Isisutu, Mokete, which means a feast. Wow. It's a wonderful thing. And you know, when I said to him, why didn't you introduce me first as Moketi. Why did you use Paul? He said, no, my father was born under apartheid and was deeply conditioned by apartheid. And all of us blacks were given Western names as a handle for the white man to carry us around with. Because the white man couldn't pronounce our names and didn't, were not interested in, in our Isizulu or Isisutu or Isitosa names. So, my name was Paul to get on in apartheid South Africa. But my real name is a feast. Wow. <laughs> Moketi. <laughs> so we must, again, restore dignity to people by using their names. And I'm very sensitive. Uh, don't call me Alex. Don't call me A. Don't call me L. I am Alexander. And I want the full name because it has deep meaning for me personally. And we give each other respect and dignity by calling each other by our names. Unless your name represents a spiritual power or God that is other than the Christian God. Then at baptism, your name is changed. And you receive the identity as God's son and daughter. But in Galatians chapter 3, Paul talks about baptism based on Jesus' baptism. And he says that, those of us who have been baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. And in those days, clothing was also a form of identity. The Jews dressed in a certain way to mark themselves as different from Gentiles. And there were boundary markers in terms of identity. And it became a source of pride, Jewish pride. And therefore, it became their own little idolatry of the way you dress to distinguish yourself from others. So this is the language of identity. If you've been baptized into Jesus, if you've put your faith in Jesus, you have now been spiritually clothed with Christ. You've taken on his identity as God's son or God's daughter, God's agapitos, God's dearly, specially loved child. And then Paul says a very important thing. Therefore, if, if you've been baptized into Christ, therefore there is, is now... Neither Jew nor Gentile, master or servant, slave nor free, male nor female, because we are made one new humanity in Christ. And what Paul is doing here is the Greco-Roman world in his day was demarcated into areas of Jews and Gentiles. So if you went to any city or town around the Mediterranean world, you would have the Jewish quarter. You would have the Parthenian quarter. You would have the Greek, the Greek quarter. You would have the Roman quarter. 
And it was a society that was very conscious of labels and identities racially, class, and basically slave. You're a slave or you're a free person. You're a master or you're a servant. And that was a deeply held identity in those days. And of course, equally male and female. What Paul is saying is that in Jesus Christ, when you're born again as God's son and God's daughter, you are affirmed in your new identity as God's agapitos, and the labels that defined you before Christ fall away and have lost their power because you are a new creation now in Christ. And so the label of white or black, master or servant, employer, employee, male nor female, falls away because of our new identity in Jesus. So in Joweto, uh, I spoke about Mokete in Pete and Amafu in Tlola, my colleagues in Soweto that we work with under apartheid in a ministry of reconciliation and justice. When we baptize new believers, we contextualized, you know, that what Paul quotes here was actually an early church baptism, a liturgical confession. So a wonderful New Testament scholar who's a Catholic, Richard Lonecker, in his commentary on the book of Galatians, talks about this. This is the earliest evidence we have of Paul taking out of usage in the early church a baptismal confession, and he puts it into his letter of Galatians. So that in those days, when, when people were baptized to be initiated into following Jesus, they stood in the water and they said, I'm now no longer a Jew or Gentile. I'm no longer master or servant, slave nor free. I'm no longer male and female, but I'm part of the one new humanity of Jesus. I am God's son and God's daughter. And that we contextualized that in Joweto, and we used to baptize people by them, saying, I'm no longer white or black, colored or Indian. <laughs> I'm no longer master or servant. I'm no longer male or female, but I'm now God's son or God's daughter, God's ag agapitos. That is important because, because we are still defined today by these labels. So on the next slide. Going further, Paul in, in 1 and 2 Corinthians chapter 5 takes this further. So 2 Corinthians was written 52-53 AD, about four or five years after the first letter of Galatians. And you see a further development in Paul's thinking if you take his writings chronologically. Because as all human beings, we're growing human beings. And if you read Paul's letters chronologically in terms of the dates when he wrote them, you'll see how his thinking develops and grows. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, he says, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, that's Jesus, therefore all died, and he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but should live for him who died for them and rose again. For Jesus, who's transformed our life and our identity. And then he says, therefore, from now on, we, we do not regard anyone from a worldly point of view anymore. Although we even once regarded Jesus in this way, we do so no longer. So they regarded Jesus as a Jewish male rabbi who was a prophet in Israel, 
the hoped-for Messiah. And after his resurrection, they really understood and believed fully that, in fact, he was the Messiah. And not only the Messiah, but he was God in human flesh. But the identity of Jesus, from a worldly point of view, was built around his sexuality, his ethnicity, his social status as a rabbi, um, etc., etc. But Paul is saying, we don't even regard Jesus anymore from these worldly labels. Because he is the risen Lord and King, who is God, who changes everything. And therefore, likewise with you and with me, we don't look at people through these labels from a worldly point of view. I don't see Sydney as a man who needs a bit of hair added to his, his crown. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm being naughty, Sydney. You know, last week I, 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 think I said some and I, and I acted out some naughty things that my wife helped the Lord to convict me of. So I repent of some of the naughty things I said last week. But you know how wives have a way of helping Jesus and, they, and the Holy Spirit to, to speak to husbands. Oh God, help us. Ave, greetum, sanctum, bless me. Um, but, but, you know, we don't look at people tall, short, thin, fat, white, black, and again, as I say this, as I say that, let me just pause to say we still are not through and beyond the pain of our history in South Africa. And that black used to be not, not blank, blacks, but under apartheid was, was ni blankies. Non-white. Blacks were defined as the negative image of the positive. We were whites. And then on benches and entrances into all facilities was whites and non-whites. Those of you who came out of Noah's Ark with me, do you remember, do you remember those labels in apartheid South Africa? Do you remember whites and non-whites? Have you heard of such a thing, the younger generation? And imagine being defined as the negative of the positive. That's such, that does such deep violation to human dignity. And that's why black is beautiful, has, a, has an affirmative season to reaffirm black dignity. Because of the history of deep damage. And whenever blacks and whites engage in South Africa, or let's say whites and Indians, or whites and coloreds, Still, depending on the level of psycho-emotional healing or lack thereof, there is still a power relationship that takes place that is hidden and unspoken. Because when a white man talks to a black man, just watch what happens. If it's still suddenly a shift into yame bas, bas cup and all that. You understand what I'm saying? So just, just to say, look, these things run profoundly deep. And you know, male ego and male identity versus female and the history of, of patriarchy and woman's subservience to men goes very deep and very long. And for some women, they really deeply need to recover their sense of dignity as being a woman because they were defined by the man. 
And you're defined not by the man. You're defined as the image of God in your, in your own right. With profound dignity and respect. As a co-equal heir with men. Not underneath men. So that is, I mean, this runs very deep that we're talking about here. But the point that Paul is making is, in Jesus Christ, you are a new creation. And that I no longer lean on my, my racial, my sexual, my social standing for identity. Because I now am freed from all of that. I find it in Jesus as God's agapitos. And all of that other stuff falls away and loses its power over me and no longer defines me. That is the message that Paul is teaching and we're going to learn to live into that. So therefore, on the next slide, because Jesus died and rose again, we no longer regard people from a worldly point of view with the given labels that we have, not even Jesus as a Jewish male, because we are new creations in Christ. The old has gone, and those labels and identities lose their power over us, and the new has come, new creation, and therefore it leads to a new sense of self, and therefore a new way of seeing people, and therefore a new way of relating. So that we relate and treat people with utter dignity and respect. Because you, Joanne, are the very image of God, despite your history of pain and brokenness. And whatever has tried to define you, you are God's image. And God's agapitos. And if I don't see you, let alone interact with you on that basis, I'm being less than Christian. I'm being less than a follower of Jesus. So the worst broken whatever human being that you may come across. I mean, I, that, as I say that, it reminds me of C.S. Lewis, who said a most remarkable thing in his book called Weight of Glory. And it's a remarkable little book, Weight of Glory. You've heard of C.S. Lewis, the British philosopher. But he says that you must be careful when you meet people and you interact with people. Because you either may be meeting uh, an angel, uh, the very image of God in human disguise of brokenness, whiteness, poverty, pain, fat, thin, whatever, however you see people. But behind them is the most awesome being that in the resurrection of the righteous, when you see them, you'll be dazzled with the beauty and perfection of God that comes in and through them. So it changes everything, being in Christ and the new creation, in terms of how we think about ourselves and feel about ourselves and see people and therefore interact with people and we become God's instrument of healing and transformation in the world today by every single interaction we have with any other human being. And in that moment is a moment of love where we impart dignity in Christ to one another. And we don't relate 
or react through stereotypes that dominate the old brain, especially the apartheid mind. Are you with me? And it goes to class, rich and poor. It goes to all these aspects of society. So therefore, let me summarize this, because I must get into the last part of the talk, is that Paul then, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you read the whole context, which I haven't been able to go into, he actually speaks about the fact that in Jesus we are new creations. In Jesus we are reconciled with God. In Jesus we are ambassadors of Christ. We are God's ambassadors, his representatives on earth. And in Jesus, we are the righteousness of God. So 2 Corinthians 5.21, I know that most Freedom House Christians can quote that text. For he, so verse 21 is the last verse of 2 Corinthians 5. And Paul draws his whole discussion to a, a conclusion. And this is his conclusion. For he, Jesus, he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. For he who knew no sin, on the cross he became sin for us, that we might become God's righteousness. You in Christ are God's righteousness. You in Christ are God's ambassador. And I should put in Tizen Hakis, for better or for worse. What kind of ambassador you are? Do you represent God well in the way he sees people, thinks of people, and relates to people? Or do you blaspheme the very person of God by the way you think of people and interact with people and treat people? You understand what I'm saying? So, we are those, those aspects of identity. On the next slide in the book of Ephesians, so Ephesians chapter 1 to verse, verse, verse 15, um, Paul has seven, uh, seven angled identity in Christ. And I'm going to go through this quick because I'm coming to the end of my talk. So in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, he says, We are blessed with all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. And the phrase Christ Jesus, Christ is King, Christos. We are, we, we are blessed with all God's blessings in King Jesus. Then he lists them. And whenever I go through reading and studying the text, if there's a kind of unfolding list, I list them, one, two, three, four, and when I get to number seven, I stop. Now I've reached perfection. Or completion. But um, that's a little wink, wink, say no more. But there are seven angled identities to those who are in Christ. The first one is, I am chosen. You were chosen, and I've put it in the first person. I am chosen. Because these are confessions that we can make over ourselves to affirm our new identity in Christ. It, it says the very first one is, for you were chosen even before God made the world. So you can say, I am chosen even before creation. It's a wonderful thing to know that you are chosen and to believe it. Even before God made the world. So Glenn, even before God thought of creating anything, he saw your wonderful face. 
And he smiled and he said, I'm choosing this guy. Secondly, I am holy and blameless in Christ. We were chosen to be holy and blameless in Christ. Holy is to be set apart for God and God's purposes. It's the word that is used for saint. So in Christ, we are saints. We are holy and blameless. In other words, we are made righteous as a gift from God because Jesus' death and resurrection. Thirdly, he says that we are predestined. In Christ, And again, we, we sometimes in English misunderstand how Paul used this word predestined. To be predestined is not to be predetermined in a fatalistic way, whereby if God decides something beforehand, it's going to happen with you, whether you like it or not, and whether you cooperate with it or not. Predestination in Hebrew understanding, is that God marks you out beforehand for His purposes, but it does not cancel out your responsibility to respond to God when He comes to you. So the free will of the human being and the sovereignty of God interact in Hebrew thinking, and the one doesn't dominate or rule out the other. For the Western mind, that's impossible. Because it's either or. Either Arianism, the free will of man, or Calvinism, the sovereignty of God. No, it's both and and much more. So to be predestined on the next slide, therefore, is to be marked out beforehand for God's purposes. And by the way, let me. I had there Romans chapter 8, verse 29. It says, those whom God foreknew... He knew beforehand, he predestined, he marked out to be conformed to the image of his son. So God predestines us on the basis of his foreknowledge, which is a little important point. Then it says we are adopted in Christ. And I love this. We are adopted in the beloved. And there Paul uses the Greek word agapitos. In Jesus God's agapito son, we are accepted and adopted as a child of God. And this goes back to, again, the importance of Jesus' identity and his baptism and our faith in Jesus and our water baptism where our identity is affirmed and confirmed in Christ. And, you know, in the Greco-Roman world to be adopted into a family as a son, unfortunately, not as a daughter... But woman, you can talk to those dudes when you get to heaven, and you can settle the score. But in Roman law, when, when, when a son was adopted into a family, they had all the privileges and all the rights of the father that was given to them on an equal basis with, with natural-born sons. Um, Siri, keep quiet. I rebuke you in Jesus' name. Um, yeah, Siri's trying to instruct me how I should preach at this point. Um, <laughs> it's so weird. I don't know that's happened to me before. <laughs> but just to say, this concept of being born of the Holy Spirit, which is an imagery of natural birth as a feminine imagery, as well as being adopted into God's family as a son and a daughter, 
was very powerful in the Greco-Roman world at that time. And we are adopted in the agapitos, to become his agapitoses. I am redeemed in Christ. That redemption is the idea of being bought out of slavery through a ransom being paid, which is the price. Jesus' blood on the cross was the price, the ransom that was paid to redeem us out of slavery to the labels that identified us. God has redeemed me out of the slavery of what I feel about myself. God has redeemed me out of the slavery of what I think about myself. How many of you know what you think about yourself, what you feel about yourself, what people say about you, what you think people think about you, is deeply enslaving for many people. So whatever worldly identities and labels that we had and lived with and has formed our sense of self, in Christ, we've been redeemed out of that slavery through the precious blood of Jesus. I am forgiven, which means we cleansed and justified just as if I had never sinned. But obviously, is it raining? Thank you, Holy Spirit. This is the rain of God's refreshing. That's so wonderful. Maybe... It's a sprinkler. Well, almost the same. I've got to keep the spiritual vibe. It's, it, I'm, I'm very prophetic. It's all almost the same. And lastly, I, I am sealed with the Holy Spirit. So, you know, dear people, I am chosen in Christ. I am holy and blameless in Christ. I am predestined in Christ. I am adopted in Christ. I am redeemed in Christ. I am forgiven in Christ. I am sealed in Christ by the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is the indwelling promise of my future resurrection of my body as this young man, uh, uh, Kyriakos, the original Greek, uh, quoted Romans chapter 8, verse 11. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in you, then God will give life to your mortal bodies by that same Spirit that dwells in you. That's the seal of God for your eternal future in a resurrection body by the Holy Spirit. You are sealed in faith unto salvation for the redemption of your body. I mean, this is powerful stuff. So on the last slide, and I'm, I'm now landing. <laughs> How to receive, the million dollar question, how to receive and to live our identity in Christ. So just a few points. First of all, you make a firm decision to believe what God says about you and what we've been teaching over the past three weeks. And again, just don't underestimate the power of the human will. Dallas Willard repeatedly said, the closest faculty human beings have to being created in the image of God is free will. Free will, the power to choose, is our closest faculty that represents the image of God. Because human beings stand 
at the Storm's River mouth. You know that big, deep valley? And they say, they look at the valley and they say a road coming down past P.E. Humansdorp towards Cape Town. They look at it and they say, let there be a bridge. And three years later, there's a bridge. Because they go into planning and finance raising and engineering and they build a bridge. God stands there and he decides, let there be a bridge. And instantly there's a bridge. So there's just a little difference. Just a small difference there. But the, pa- the fact is human beings say, we decide that we will visit the moon. And Elon Musk is deciding whether he goes himself or not remains to be seen to visit Mars. But you know that you decide, you make a decision deep inside, I am who God says I am. That starts changing everything. If you don't make a firm, deep decision on the basis of your conviction of God's word that is truth that sets you free, you will be continually adrift in the wind of everything that blows your way and tries to define you in its own image. Make a decision. Number two, it says... Receive and you make it subjectively real by confessing it as often as you can. Especially Ephesians text of the sevenfold identity. Positive self-confession of scripture over you and the truth of God actually rehabilitates the mind, renews your thinking so that you live into and become who God says you are. Number three, keep rebuking the internal voices and the external messages that challenge your identity in Christ. So we continually through social media, uh, magazines, all sorts of things, through body language of people around us, continual messages are bombarding us. You are this. You see, this thing reminds you that you're really that. And of course, the devil sits on this shoulder or that shoulder and every little thing that happens to you likes to whisper in your ear. You see, I told you, that's who you are. Your feelings that come up, internal messages, internal voices, external voices, it's a continual warfare. So you've got to say to the devil, you know, there is no language under heaven given to human beings that is as descriptive as Afrikaans. So in English, you say, I rebuke you, Satan. In Afrikaans, you say, Futa! Satan! Get away from me, you demon. It keeps whispering in my ear through what the body language of people. So you go into an environment and someone ignores you. So what happens? In your mind. First of all, why are they ignoring me? Second of all is, yeah, I thought so. Third of all is, what have they heard? Fourth of all is, is this, you have a problem. And we actually act out our unresolved brokenness on other people. Instead of just saying, Thank you, Jesus. They're giving me some silent contemplation to enjoy your, agi- your agapitos love. 
If they, if they have an issue, bless them. Whatever the issue is, God bless them. Fill them with your love. But I'm enjoying your love now. I'm in a constant cocoon of God's being in love when I'm interacting with people. It's a discipline that I've exercised over many, many years. That every When I leave the home and start engaging with people, I don't want to lose the cocoon of being in God's love through conscious mental discipline of not defining myself through what I read, their body language, or their attitudes, or their words. Because you're at the mercy as a victim of what others do or don't do or say or don't say to you. Because of your brokenness. It's not their issue, it's your issue. If there's something still hookable in you, believe you me, the devil will find it and try to hook you. If there's nothing hookable in you, you are free. So the last word is embrace and celebrate. Be loved. So being the beloved is to learn to be loved. And we don't know how to receive love because of our brokenness over many years that we were raised on conditional love. So if you pass your exams, I will buy you a bicycle. If you behave, I will give you an ice cream. You know how damaging that is? You know the kind of messages that that sends to the formation of the mind and identity. God's love is not conditional. God's love is unconditional. Human beings don't know how to be loved, how to receive love, how to enjoy love, because we've been so formed in our identity by conditional love of performance. And we need to learn to be loved. Receive love. Be celebrated for who you are. And you need to believe it and embrace it and speak it over yourself and live into it because that's more real than what you think is real in you or around you. Let's stand. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, uh, Basil has said a helpful thing that he and Ryan were just talking and they are recommending that in closing we, we go through those seven confessions. So, um, I can't see who's at the back. Kukulin, won't you just put up the seven confessions on the, on the second to last slide? And maybe... We can all confess them together um, from Ephesians chapter 1. So we start off. So let's say we'll go follow me and we'll all say it aloud slowly and follow my prompt. The first one, I am chosen in Christ. I am holy and blameless in Christ. I am predestined in Christ. I am adopted in Christ. I am redeemed in Christ.
I am forgiven in Christ. I am sealed in Christ. Father, let that be real in the depths of our being. In the name of Jesus. Let those words, Lord, go to the very core and the center of every person here this morning. And transform them, heal them, and free them to be it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said? Amen. Have a great week. <laughs>